Welcome to Milo Time, where we dive into the list of things that Milo loved and spend some time with my beautiful, amazing, awesome, fantastic boy, Milo. Welcome back for another episode of Milo Time. Daryl Kessler along with Lisa Cohen. Hi there. Hey, Lisa. I noticed that you're no longer... Wearing any kind of contraption limping. on your ankle and yeah. no longer limping. Yeah, it's much better being ambulatory. It, it, it does help. It definitely <laughs> does help. Is it all better or? Uh, you know, a little PT tomorrow. We'll see. I'm getting there. Yeah. Did you find that uh, contraption you're wearing on the ankle helped a little bit? It feels bad. I mean, it definitely, I'm less scared of what's going to happen. Right. But uh, it's not, it's not, it's not sexy. Well, your gait doesn't appear to have been impacted, so that's that's, that's good, good news. Glad to hear that's that. So let's dig into the list of things Milo loved. Anything catching your fancy today, Lisa? Oh yeah, I I uh, I'd really like to talk about the Lincoln Te- Terrace. See, we it's a tongue twister. The Lincoln Terrace Tennis Center. Say it ten times fast. Yes, the Lincoln Terrace Tennis Center. So. This is a place that'll be familiar to people who play tennis in Brooklyn, but probably not that familiar to others. So. Lincoln Terrace Tennis Center is a tennis facility down Eastern Parkway, just off of Buffalo Avenue. It's one of the many public tennis court centers uh, in Brooklyn and in New York City. Um, It was very, very near and dear to Milo. Over the years, um, as many people know, uh, Milo played a lot of tennis. He uh, trained as a very young player, or took lessons, I shouldn't say trained, took lessons in Prospect Park, like many kids start. Um, and then uh, eventually moved to these courts called Bridgeview, which were down the Belt Parkway, about uh, 40 minutes away from us. And finally, his last training spot was in McCarran Park in Williamsburg. And at each point, as his game developed and his desire for a certain type of coaching developed, we continued to move him. Um, and he, again, trained at all of those places. And he played at all those places and many, many more. But really, his favorite place to play was at Lincoln Terrace. These are courts that are um, outdoors. They are hard courts. And they are extraordinarily fast. Very, very unusual um, in how quick they were. Ordinary hard courts have sort of a grain to them, which allows you to get traction and in some ways slows the ball down. These courts, for whatever reason, whether it's because they're outdoors and don't get bubbled or just the way they were constructed and the way they were coded, um, had very, very little grain in them and were extremely, extremely fast. And um, they also were the home to an extraordinary tennis community. In the Lincoln Terrace uh, tennis facility, the majority of the players, it seemed to us, were of Caribbean descent. And it was a beautiful tennis community. The instructors, I believe all of the instructors were of Caribbean descent and many of the players were. And so many, so many wonderful, wonderful Caribbean tennis players. And I think Milo loved the fast court, but he really loved being among that community of tennis players. He just really, really enjoyed it. We never really talked about it a lot. But he just loved the whole vibe of the place. He liked that when you played there at night, there was typically music playing. There were people who would come, play, stay, take a break, have a bite to eat, play again. 
Um, and it was really, really a beautiful, beautiful place to play. That's great. There, um, we played there during COVID quite a bit, Milo and I, and, um, this was at the start of COVID. Eventually they closed the courts down, even though they were outdoor courts. This was sort of before we recognized that COVID by and large wasn't spread in outdoor environments. And Milo and I played quite a bit um, in the first half of 2020 there. And one of the times we were playing there, I remember it, it doesn't seem that long ago, um, we were hitting and the courts were full and there was... A young guy, probably in his early 30s, see where that age now, Lisa, or someone in their early 30s is a young guy, um, a young guy who was kind of watching him play from a distance. And when we took a water break, he walked over and he started talking to Milo and I overheard him say to him, are you Milo? And Milo said, I am. And they quickly recognized each other. And it turns out that this guy was a guy who coached Milo in Bridgeview like eight years before. And what he said to Milo was, I could never forget that forehand. <laughs> so, okay, so Milo is what, like 16? And then, so he's, he's, he's remembering the, the forehand of an eight-year-old. Right. He's rem- well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> he's remembering the forehand of an eight-year-old. So Milo had, um, he was left-handed, of course, and he had a very unique forehand for the 2010s. He had a forehand that looked more like a forehand from the 70s and 80s in that it didn't have that heavy topspin that most kids are coached nowadays. Not only because Milo was left-handed, but because of the nature of his forehand stroke, he was told by many coaches that his game looked like John McEnroe's game, not anywhere near that level, of course, but in and, terms and, of the, and not the same temperament and not the same to be clear, of course, <laughs> but the fact that he was left-handed, the fact that he hit a fairly flat forehand um, with minimal take back and the fact that he actually, unlike many young players, was really comfortable coming forward and coming to the net. Um, his game uh, did resemble McEnroe's, obviously not quite the acumen that McEnroe had, but in many respects, left-handedness. Um, this sort of open forehand that didn't overemphasize topspin did look like game from a long time ago. And he also played, Milo wasn't the fastest guy. Um, he was almost comically slow when he played <laughs> baseball, but he was very quick and covered the court really well. And in that respect also, he looked like a player from an earlier generation who wasn't scrambling around the court, but somehow was moving around the court in a way that allowed him to cover it in a very smooth way um, that sort of was surprising. Um, I know that Alana's father, Alana was, uh, as many people who are listening might know, was a phenomenal junior tennis player and played in college. And Alana's father used to joke that Alana would often lose the warm-up but win the match and by that what he meant was she would often face kids who were bigger stronger faster hit the ball harder etc and when they would see tiny little alana playing in warm-ups they would think they had the match under control only to find that they were surprised by this player and milo was sort of similar um he was sort of similar um he 
didn't look like your typical tennis player and he was left-handed, which always looked a little unusual on the tennis court. And I think a lot of people underestimated him when they played him. And he was a very successful local junior tennis player. He probably won half a dozen tournaments at a good level. It wasn't a national level, but um, he was really effective in his own Milo style. He did it his way, the way he did everything his way. Yeah, I, I do remember Alana telling me that, um, you know, one of one of the reasons that he was so successful was had to do with his temperament, which was, you know, just kind of like one of these ice water in the veins types. Like tennis is an incredibly frustrating and solitary game. And if you let it bother you too much, you're going to mess up some more. So he he somehow was able to stay above it and just keep hitting. And that's, you know, that's he, I love that he didn't look too polished. You yeah, must, you must have had a lot of that in this area. We did have a lot of that on, on both fronts, really, in terms of his temperament on the court. He was very competitive in his own way, but you wouldn't have known it to watch him. His body language was didn't suggest that. But he was really, really competitive. You know, I think back to, it, we didn't know it at the time, but it was um, his next to last competitive match and his last win in a tournament. Again, it was early in COVID and he was playing a tournament up in the Bronx. He was playing a kid whose name I won't mention, um, <laughs> but um, I do follow some of the kids who Milo played over the years to see what became of their tennis careers. And this kid at some point um, earned a national ranking. Now the national ranking was in the 700s. He wasn't some top, top, top player in the country, but he played enough and played um, far enough afield from just New York City that he was able to achieve a national ranking in the 700s. And I remember that Alana's parents were at the match and the kid was uh, very athletic, very big and strong, and was hitting big ground strokes, but he was also a little volatile. And it was clear from warmups that he thought he had the match in the bag. And he won the first set. And Alana's parents commented to Alana and me that this was going to be a tough one, that Milo looked like he was in trouble. And I said, you know, I, I think he's going to win this match. And I think he's going to win it because this kid... He's hitting big forehands, but there's a lot of moving parts and it doesn't look like he's going to sustain it. And I think Milo probably sees that also. Milo watched a lot of tennis and really sort of understood how to seek out opponents' weaknesses. And um, he really knew the game well. And I said, also, this kid seems to have thought that this match wasn't going to be competitive and he's getting a little frustrated even though he's winning. And Milo was able to turn the tide in the second set. And in that tournament, instead of playing a whole third set, they played a third set tiebreaker. And he won the third set tiebreaker. The kid was very gentlemanly at the handshake, but I could tell he was very surprised. And Alana's parents, who thought a lot of Milo's tennis game, were also surprised. But it worked out um, sort of the way I thought it was going to work out. And it was typical, typical Milo. Well, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a mathematician and, and a strategy guy. So... Uh, you know, he's not just out there flailing around. He's He's got a plan. He was a thinker on and off the court. And he also, I think, recognized that there was a potential arbitrage benefit to learning how to play the net well. Um, I mentioned John McEnroe before, and that's really, I don't want to overstate the comparison, but Milo was very 
comfortable coming to the net and really enjoyed doing it. And it was something that separated him from a lot of young players. And it made him awkward to play. The left-handedness was unusual. Most kids don't play more than a couple of lefties as they're growing up. And then the fact that he would sometimes serve in volley and would do so at unusual times, I think he just felt like if I can take the net more often than other players do and become competent as a net player and then eventually very good as a net player, because it's so unusual, he saw that as like a strategic mathematical advantage. That's right. Now, one other thing that we did talk about at Milo's service, which I know you find um, very appealing about Milo's game (laughs) and about his personality. You know, he really did love tennis. He loved playing it full stop, no other explanation needed. But what he really also loved was sort of upsetting expectations. And Milo was always going to be Milo. And he resisted doing any sort of uh, shopping for anything that resembled tennis clothing, except that his shorts had to have pockets in them. <laughs> so he would take the court in some fairly competitive tennis tournaments, wearing what were essentially basketball shorts with pockets and regular workout shorts and a tennis bag that his grandparents bought him when he was eight years old. And he would often take the court against kids who were decked out in the latest tennis gear with the latest tennis bags with a whole collection of rackets. Milo would usually show up with just two or three. And in many cases with two parents and in some cases with a coach. And that was sometimes intimidating to me. I only played a little bit of tennis growing up. It was never intimidating to Alana and it was never intimidating to Milo. And he don't need no stinking coach. <laughs> he don't need no stinking coach. And he got a real kick out of playing those kids. I think he took pride in the fact that he worked just as hard as anybody else, but had other interests played other sports, and as in all things in Milo's life, he had it in the proper perspective. He wasn't solely focused on it. It wasn't that he wasn't committed. It wasn't that he wasn't as competitive as these kids. It was that he recognized it for what it was, which was a part of him, something he did, but it didn't define him. And it did seem for some of these kids when they showed up in you know, full tennis gear with the whole family in tow and a coach and strategizing before and after the match. It did seem for a 13, 14 year old kid to be a lot. And Milo was proud to play those kids and in many cases beat those kids. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, he really was. He really was. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Milo Time. We hope you'll be joining us again soon on the next episode. Thank you. 